Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Fantasy Football Pod. Coming at you with our full wild card round review here. Recording just after the Cowboys and Bucks game ended. An absolute beatdown on Monday night. That one felt good, Cody. Uh, I'm sure you're shaking in your boots as a Chiefs fan that the uh, the juggernaut Cowboys are on the other side right now. How are you feeling? Yeah, man, the Cowboys definitely the... Uh... The team I'm the most afraid of right now. They are they are looking deadly as, as always. So yeah, of course. <laughs> no, the Cowboys look good tonight. We'll get into that game uh, a little bit later, but yeah, no, they they looked very very good against a very very bad Buccaneers team. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's well. Again, yeah, like you said, we'll get to that later. But I think that's what this game was more about. This was just a. Bad team all year, and it did not get any better when it mattered most, as a lot of people kind of assumed it would because it was Tom Brady. But anyway, uh, we'll get to an extended reaction there at the end of this episode. Uh, we're just going to skip straight to our uh, wildcard betting results. Not a ton of news going on in the NFL these days. Anything big, we'll recap in uh, the you know, the episode at the end of the week that we do to, uh, to preview the divisional round. And then we'll have more clarity on any injuries and stuff like that too. So we'll just go ahead and uh, skip over that section for today and we'll get to our wildcard betting results. A little bit of a mixed bag for the pod 12 and 12 across the board there uh, between us. So, uh, you know, not, not our best result there. A lot of very strange games in the wildcard weekend again, as we will get to, but I'm okay with those results considering the, you know, wild nature of this weekend's games. Very unpredictable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, these weekend games were, I mean, five out of six overs hit, which I, I don't, I mean, we've only had six uh, wildcard games for two years now, but I'd imagine there haven't been that many overs hitting on a single playoff weekend in a, in a while. Well, obviously not that many, but that percentage at least. Um, just kind of surprised by that. But, uh, yeah, like you said, just kind of all around some crazy games. I ended up going 5-7. and seven. Uh, To quote myself on Thursday's podcast, I'm going to take all the unders because I expect four out of six of them to hit, and I just would rather uh, play the percentages there. So I got absolutely screwed playing that. Um, did pretty well against the spread, 4-2. and two. My only bad calls were Buffalo and Tampa Bay. And, uh, yeah, Buffalo is probably a bad call. I mean, a sharp better is probably always going to take the points, but I also took San Francisco minus 9.5 and, a half and that one covered easily. So just a little up and down. Uh, hopefully we'll get back to uh, 500 going into next or after next weekend. And then uh, hopefully it passed Nick up, get some redemption after that beat down he put on me in the regular season. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It's pretty close still. Like I said, I ended up at seven and five. Thankfully that under in the Cowboys game hit for both of us, actually, that ended up helping, uh, you know, the 45 points there at the end, very close when the Buccaneers had the ball uh, with a minute and a half left. I thought we were going to lose it, but uh, yeah, we did okay overall. Again, very unpredictable games this this weekend. Uh, just kind of a lot of shootouts that were not necessarily, you know, on the board to be that. So uh, we'll get to it in a second here. We'll start with Seattle and San Francisco. The first game of the weekend, San Francisco ends up running away with this one, 41-23. to 23. So they obviously covered their 9.5-point spread. This one went way over the original total of 42.5. And, and my stat of the game, this will kind of just speak to the dominance San Francisco showed. 505 total yards for the Niners in this one. It's actually the third time they've done that. Kaepernick's huge, uh, you know, 180-rush yard, yard game. I don't know if you remember that one against the Packers. They did it. And then uh, in the Super Bowl against Dan Marino's Dolphins, they did it as well. So 
Um, I don't know where you want to start here on this game. This one's pretty straightforward to me. Uh, I mean, the Niners just have an absolutely amazing set of playmakers and a top five offensive line and maybe the league's best play caller. So with all of those things, it's they're just they're very good. They're hard to stop, and they really overwhelmed Seattle on this one. Yeah, the 49ers in this game is super easy for me. You have, um, I mean, going into next week, your only question that you're really going to have about this team is, you know, is Brock Purdy going to crack under more pressure? Um, he didn't have too good of a first half, but he was able to kind of get it together in the second half. Um, Seattle's Are defense is not Purdy? great. I, I don't know if I'm necessarily like, like that impressed. Um, I listened to a... 49ers heavy podcast, uh, just two guys I've randomly found. They have pretty good content, and uh, like I said, they kind of focus on the 49ers. They're from the Bay Area, and uh, they're they're in love with Purdy. They think like he is the next coming for the 49ers. I, I definitely don't think that anybody should be on that level, um, but I do think he's, he's the starter for the 49ers going into next year unless we see some kind of massive meltdown against the Cowboys or uh, something like that, but – I'm not extremely high on him. I think that he, you know, if he turns out like Kirk Cousins, that's what I would kind of expect. And with Kyle Shanahan, like you said, potentially the best play caller and the weapons that they have around him right now, they could they could do something with this team. Yeah, I'm not very impressed with Purdy on the field personally. Uh, I just think a lot of the throws you're making are, you know, either wide open throws or they're plays where. I think the most impressive thing about Purdy is that he acts surprising athleticism. He's been, been able to extend plays and, you know, get to those dump offs to Christian McCaffrey, whereas some other quarterbacks might have been, you know, swallowed up in the pocket. But other than his mobility, Purdy hasn't really impressed me. I, I didn't see a ton of NFL throws on Sunday. I mean, his numbers looked fantastic at the end. I think he had 300 plus yards and three scores. Yeah. But check and look at, you know, how much of that was yards after the catch. Um, and just look at the look at the windows he was throwing into. I mean, I didn't see him fit one into a tight window all day. I mean, I, I watched most of that game, but I'm going to want to see Brock Purdy play against a good defense. Hopefully uh, the Cowboys are able to get some pressure on him. That's kind of been the key. I feel like the Niners have just like mauled everybody they've played the past few weeks, really haven't given Purdy much to do. For Seattle, um, do we have any talking points here? I think uh, their future looks pretty bright. They have a lot of picks. This team's pretty young. What would you do with Geno Smith? Uh, would you keep him moving into next year, or uh, would you look for a, you know, a replacement in the draft? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these quarterback questions are always going to come down to, you know, what is your upgrade option? And I think San Francisco is in a pretty unique spot. They have the – Seattle. Is it the number three pick from Denver? No, it's not that good because they won in week 17. Is it? Uh, uh, I think it's. I think it's in the top six here. Let me get that real quick. Uh, you can go ahead with the rest of your point, and then I'll. Yeah, I, I was gonna say if you can if you can find a way to use that in another pick or something and kind of get up to where you're getting your choice of quarterback. Maybe the the Bears trade down or something like that. Uh, maybe you trade like a Tyler Lockett to the Bears or something like that because they need receiver help. So if you can do something like that and you move up and get a young guy, would I don't know if there's a guy you know. Uh. uh bridge level quarterback that I'm willing to move off of Geno for. So unless there's a young guy I want to take a shot on or someone surprising becomes available. But as of right now, it's going to be Geno Smith or a young guy for me, I think. Yeah, it's going to be really hard for them to move off of them, especially because the locker room loves him. He had such a good year, and I'm sure the fan base uh, is pretty behind Geno Smith right now too. But they are at five. So they have, like you said, 
two first-round picks this year. Uh, they are in prime position to to move up and get at least uh, you know a CJ Stroud or a Will Levis if they want to. I think I'd most likely go that route unless you just really don't like the guys behind Bryce Young for some reason and you can't move up to one. Yeah, it'll be interesting you, to see what they do. But they do have you a lot think of you could win the Super Bowl with Geno Smith if you had a loaded I don't think team? So. Yeah, I think I mean, that then you have to be looking at trying to get a young guy in there. Yeah, I, I, that that's just what it is, man. You got to have a, a guy you believe that can win a Super Bowl, and I, I think you're in the majority that thinks Geno Smith's, you know, even with a loaded team, probably can't win the Super Bowl. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's most likely what they'll do. But Pete Carroll's a players' coach first, so we'll see what he ends True. up doing there with Geno Smith. They have a lot of good options up there in Seattle. They should be, you know, on the upward trend here as a franchise. Next game here, another Saturday night game here. Chargers at Jaguars, the game of the weekend. Jacksonville comes back to win this one, 31-30, down 27 in the first half. They obviously covered their plus two. And this game went way over the 46.5 point total. Stat of the game, the Chargers are the first team in the NFL playoff history to lose with a plus five turnover differential. That is just almost impossible to do in this in this uh, day and age. Just incredible stuff from the Chargers. But that's just uh, that could not have been a more Chargers game if they tried. Appreciate you, Brandon Staley. Put a live bet on the Jaguars while they were down 27-0. Came home with some nice cheddar. Um, I I don't know what else to say there is about the Chargers. Do they fire Brandon Staley? Let's start with that. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I do want to say we told you on Thursday, uh, Jaguars money line, never in doubt. Guys got to yeah. ride it out. It 100%. was his free money for you. So hope you enjoyed that. But yeah, let's start with the Brandon Staley. Um, and, and I think just kind of the the Chargers coaching situation in general. Um, are they going to fire him? I I would if I was the Chargers owner and I could um, pursue someone like a Sean Payton. I think that's a you're not going to get Sean a Sean Payton level head coach for you know could be potentially three four years and if you do find one it's going to be a young guy like a, a Sean McVay that probably hasn't proven himself yet so um, yeah if I'm the Chargers you already have a really good roster I mean if even if you have to flip your first for Sean Payton I would do that in a heartbeat but as I'm sure you'll be, you know if you're listening to this podcast I'm sure you're you'll hear that it's you know the Chargers are very cheap so they. They don't like moving off of coaches. They don't like having to pay off, uh, you know, all that those extra years of salary. So, do they? I don't. I I would guess they don't, just based on their history. But would they or should they? And would I? I would definitely. Yeah, I think you have to at this point. He just has shown himself to, you know, be this type of coach in big games. He, uh, you know, he's a defensive guy. So you're blowing a 27 point lead in the playoffs. I have to give you a lot of the blame. Um, that's another place that I wanted to get to here is who do we blame on the Chargers? I think it lies with Brandon Staley. I don't think Justin Herbert played a horrible game even uh, during the comeback. You know, they were, you know, there's a lot of tight throws he was trying to make. They weren't connecting. They were early. And I think this has just been the story of his career as a Charger. I don't really blame uh, Justin Herbert very much. I think Joey Bosa and Brandon Staley are my two biggest, uh, you know, blames on the chargers here i just uh what a what a horrible move did you see the uh the personal foul oh, yeah. that led to the two-point play yep absolutely childish move from joey bosa to slam his helmet on the ground and then uh that ended up basically being the reason they lost you know in regulation they may have lost in overtime if they've gotten there but uh yep. childish stuff from joey bosa hopefully uh, did uh, you, yeah go ahead 
Did you see they they um I just saw this before we started recording, but Joey Bosa like at his locker after the game was getting interviewed and was like I did not. He, he look it up when we're done here. Look it up if you're listening. He was just basically going in on the referees. And you can I mean, if you agree with Nick's testament, which I do, I would say that you'll probably get a little chuckle out of that because he he sounds just like he acted on the field, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I think that you can't do that. I mean, it's just it is what it is, but you can't you can't overreact like that, especially when your team blowing the lead. I mean, like you said, you could have lost in overtime. You could have gave Justin Herbert, which I mean, if Justin Herbert gets well, overtime rules are different now, but. You know, I, I'm going to trust Justin Herbert to win me a game if I'm on that defense. I'm not going to give them a chance to, uh, you know, to get the easy, you know, one yard reach over the line of scrimmage. Um, Such a smart you know, play. Two point. So yeah, we'll get into another one that's completely idiotic that the Ravens tried to pull last night. But oh, God. <laughs> Matt, when you're on the one yard line, that's an ingenious play because all you got to do is just get it over the line. That's it. And it's a touchdown, even if they knock Let's... it out of your hand afterwards. So. Let's go ahead and move um, over to those Jags, though. Uh, the Trevor Lawrence, he became the second player ever in the playoffs with four touchdowns and four picks in a playoff game. That should give you some idea of how this one went. Uh, you know, they showed their ceiling and their basement in all in one game. That's kind of the the mark of a young team, though. They're nine and eight. That's you know they're up and down. This is uh, they just kind of really put it all out on the field in one game uh, for you know everybody to see. Do you? As a Chiefs fan, was this the matchup that you wanted out of this game? Would you rather play the Chargers? Do you give them any chance in Arrowhead this Sunday? Uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that I've been a very, very big supporter of the Jaguars uh, since, I mean, pretty early on in the season, So, and Trevor Lawrence in particular. Um, I think Doug Peterson's a really good coach. Um, and, yeah, I mean – the thing when it comes down to it is just anyone can have a bad day and anyone can have the best day of their life. And that's what I think makes these one, you know, one game series per se, just so enticing for football and just sports fans in general. That's the thing you don't get in the NBA or, you know, baseball. If, you know, an NBA star has an off night, you know, he has three other games at least to, to pull it together. If Patrick Mahomes is off next Saturday and the Chiefs, you know, have a bad game, the Jaguars could absolutely steal it out. I think that's one of the best – that's what makes football what it is. Um, so I, I'm going to say yes. I But, I mean, right now the spread opened at eight and a half. I, I, I don't think Vegas thinks that the Jags have too much of a chance. But, I mean, we saw that the Ravens were eight and a half point underdogs and they probably should have beat the Bengals last night. So it could definitely happen. Yeah, I was surprised it was only eight and a half, honestly. I thought it would be closer to ten. Um, so I, I am pretty encouraged with the Jaguars chances based off of that personally as somebody that wants to see Kansas city lose, but, uh, <laughs> the Jaguars, I honestly, I don't have a ton of faith that they're going to win this game. I think they could cover the spread, but I, uh, I would be pretty comfortable betting the chiefs to win this one. Uh, maybe yeah. even to put money on the money line, even you know, giving that juice. That's what I just feel like. They're not quite ready to do, uh, that going to Arrowhead and knock off the it chiefs. It would be pretty crazy. The, the only reason I have any faith is Doug Peterson, though. He is a great coach, and I think that fourth and one play to ETN at the end uh, to get them into field goal range really just kind of showcases why I have faith in these in this Jaguars team, or any faith I do have is because of that. Just very creative. Uh, those are the types of plays you just really need to have in your bag as a good coach that just scheme up you know, one to two yards there. It's schemed up 25, but it was just a really smart call in that situation to, to pack everybody in, get them in on the sweep, just – those types of plays, they had a few of them that uh, on Saturday night that 
give me faith in the Jaguars, at least moving forward, maybe not this Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of that play, I think that was probably one of the best plays of the weekend. In a weekend full of like coaching situations where I was just yelling at my TV, wondering what was happening, that was unbelievable. But they actually ran a very similar concept that led to a long touchdown run in week three. You could have looked this up because we wrote this doc earlier. Do you know who they played in week three that led to a long touchdown run? By James Robinson. The uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Oh, you got it. Absolutely. (laughs) It's basically just a, basically what they do is they just create a wall on one side with extra tight ends. And then they put Asante Samuel one-on-one with the running back. And both times Asante Samuel got burned by the running back, both James Robinson and Travis Etienne. But it was, I saw that breakdown. I was like, that's pretty cool. I mean, just nerdy football stuff. But yeah, had it happened to the uh, Chargers twice, just another, you know, Brandon Staley esque, uh, you know, comment you could make there to fall for that one again. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we'll see if they make a coaching change. I think that's the biggest uh, point for this Chargers team moving into the offseason. They've kind of got their pieces from a personnel standpoint for the next couple of years. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to Miami at Buffalo. This game a lot more entertaining than expected, especially after the start of it. Buffalo ends up taking it 34-31 at home. Miami easily covered their 13.5 point spread, and this one went really far over the 43.5 point total. So we both whiffed on those. Uh, I think you had yeah, you said you had all the unders, so you definitely had the under in this one. Um, very strange game. Buffalo went out to a 17-0 lead. Looked like they were going to cruise with it, but uh, really just a lot of self-inflicted wounds, I think, are the story here. Uh, my stat of the game real quick, Josh Allen had his fourth 300-yard passing game in the playoffs as a Buffalo Bill. That is uh, obviously the most in Bills history, but it's also uh, the Bills have had four games combined before Josh Allen came to Buffalo. So uh, four 300-yard passing games, that is, in uh, out of their whole history. Josh Allen's very good at football. I think that's a long way of saying that. Uh, I was pretty impressed yeah, with the Everett quarterback Miami. stats. Yeah, I was going to say, quarterback Obviously, stats, Josh Allen's going to rewrite the uh, record book there in Buffalo. Yeah. Because <laughs> no they question. have not had a quarterback close to his uh, his throwing ability. So Yeah, yeah. Jim Kelly's career sh- cut short by injuries a little bit. And obviously True. just passing stats weren't the same back in you know late, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I was impressed by the effort for Miami, but I think this is a lot more about Buffalo just making mistakes. They outgained them 423 to 231 in this one. Uh, Miami's offense executed in the short area a couple times. I was a little impressed with Skylar Thompson, but overall, I think uh, this Buffalo Bills team really just let them get back in the game with some dumb mistakes. Josh Allen threw a couple picks. They had a couple uh, long punt returns as well. I don't know if this says anything to me about the Buffalo Bills. They're still very good. I'm just, uh, if you're a Bills fan, I think you're just happy that you survived. How do you feel about the Bills right now? Yeah, on the Bills side, I think it's it's pretty simple. You probably overlooked Miami a little bit. I know it's a playoff game, and you probably should never overlook anybody. But um, you know, I'm sure that they they obviously know that they're going to have a pretty probably just emotional and crazy game next week against the Bengals, or at least that's what they were probably expecting. So um, yeah, I just imagine Buffalo just did, didn't have their A game. And I mean, if we if the if the Chiefs or whoever they play in the AFC Championship game, if they make it there, they're as dangerous as anybody. So I, I'm not going to take anything away from it. I mean, just you got to clean up those mistakes. I mean, if you have, you know, three of those type of mistakes against the Chiefs, you're probably not winning that game. So you can do it against the Dolphins and pull out a win. That's my only concern. But like I said, I just imagine there's got to be some some stuff, uh, you know, happening in Buffalo. And like I said, Miami and Skylar Thompson probably just weren't fully prepared as they as they could have been. 
Yeah, so I think Buffalo, again, like you said, just came down to their mistakes. They do need to clean it up, but uh, you know, any given Sunday, you just need to get through these rounds. Uh, like you said before, it's just, you know, it's all about coming out and playing your best ball. The Bills can still do that when they need to. They didn't in this one, and they got lucky that they uh, they ended up making it through. We can go to the Dolphins. I think you have some coaching uh, decisions that you'd like to talk about here with Mike McDaniel, but we'll start uh, with what the Dolphins are going to do at quarterback moving forward. Uh, there are some Tom Brady rumors. Are you um, just hoping Tua is able to you know, make it through these concussion issues, or are you trying to go get somebody else to be your long-term answer or maybe a, you know, at least a veteran stopgap that can you know, fill in if Tua is not able to make it back these there's just been a lot of a lot of smoke around Tua's football future in general. Yeah, um, I think if your plan is to roll with Tua next year, I am uh, I'm going to go hard after Jacoby Brissett. He seems to be uh, probably one of the best backups that can come in and you know keep you around 500, probably a little less than 500, but at least give you a shot with a good team. So you're going to have to have someone of that caliber. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater used to be that guy, but he is just. He's an injury every time he steps on the field now, so can't rely on him. Um, if it was up to me, I mean, I would probably look – that's so tough because Tua is still, I mean, on his rookie contract, you know, you want you want that to be your guy, but it's just one of those things. I don't think you could pick up his fifth-year option because, I mean, if he gets one concussion next year, I mean, you just have all of these things circulating your, you know, your franchise, I think – I don't know. I mean, I guess if a doctor clears him, he can play, but I think I'd probably be leaning towards, I mean, to uh, having to retire from football. But I, I just, that's such a weird thing to think about because I just, if he's cleared to play by the doctors, I mean, I'm sure he wants to play. But like as a team, if you put him out there, he gets a concussion, you have all these questions next year as well. It's just, it's a dark cloud over the franchise. I don't know if it's worth it. Definitely a tough situation for Miami. Hopefully they get some, you know, some some sort of a you know an idea of where he's going to be by you know March or April when they're probably going to have to be making these decisions as far as their uh, you know their roster goes. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I think at this point you're probably making at least a contingency plan for a one or two year guy, and then you know moving on to another franchise style quarterback if uh, two is not able to come back from these multiple head injuries. And again, I think hopefully he just listens to his doctors, does not put himself in a situation where he's done long-term damage to himself. Um, we'll see how it works out for Miami. Are you comfortable with Mike McDaniel as your guy moving forward? I was kind of an up and down year, obviously had the long losing streak to end it, uh, got the win at the end to get it in, but you know, nine and eight again. So it's not like he got he made, you know, made this roster better. They were nine and eight the year before. How are you feeling about McDaniel in general right now? Yeah, I thought Mike McDaniel was very safe uh, going into this playoff game. Obviously, the the Tua situation kind of surrounding the season made uh, that losing streak probably a little bit tougher as well. Um, but, I mean, I think his play calling in this game was really, really bad. I mean, you get the lead in the second half. You're up 24-20. to 20. You get Skylar Thompson gets sacked. It's third and 19 from your own eight, and you try and take a shot downfield to – Put your, you know, to get the first down, and you it gets intercepted. You give the Bills the ball on the thirty yard line, and they go right down the field and they score a touchdown on you. It's just I don't, I, I feel like right there, if you just the way your defense had been playing, the way that they've been kind of creating some turnovers, I just run the ball up the middle, get a couple yards, get enough room for your punter, get get your defense back out there. That was just, and, and I mean, Skylar Thompson probably shouldn't have thrown that ball, but I mean, if if they're Calling that play on third down, I mean, you're going to throw it. Why not? So 
I just I feel yeah, like that's you can't just put your seventh round pick quarterback exactly. in that situation. I totally agree with you. So that that I didn't like very much, and then just in general, I mean, Skylar Thompson. I thought I thought I was impressed with Skylar Thompson. He ended up eighteen for forty five. I just I feel like you have to know who you're playing with. He's not <laughs> exactly. a downfield threat. Like just constant like verticals, and they were just throwing down the sidelines. It's like like the, like crossing routes. Basically, the 49ers offense, which is what you know Mike McDaniel should be very comfortable with. Like Skylar Thompson could probably do a lot of what Brock Purdy was doing, just short passes. Crossers, get the ball to Waddle, get the ball to Hill, get it to your running backs in space. I mean, if that's what you would have been doing, I feel like you had a good chance to win that game. But it just seemed like anytime they could, they were taking shots. And it's like, geez, man, just just relax a little bit. And then the last Question point I want to make. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. You're good. Last point I want to make is just I, I think that, you know, I wouldn't fire him because I think you guys did pretty good in a game where you probably had little to no expectations, but this just reminded me a lot of the Mizzou and Georgia game earlier as a Mizzou fan. You go in with the David versus Goliath mentality, but once you realize you have a chance, you know, the moment just gets too big for you and you kind of just squander it away. So I kind of felt very similar watching the Miami Dolphins on Sunday morning. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked McDaniel's season as a whole. Obviously, had that tough finish, uh, but I think he's a good play caller. Um, I, I think Miami will keep him around, like you said. But definitely some questionable moments in this one, including uh, at the end of the game with that fourth and one, where they thought they had picked up the first down. Apparently, he sent out personnel for the first and ten play. Then they had to you know run on their fourth and one personnel, and they didn't get the playoff in time, and then didn't get the fourth and six. That was a uh, very, you know, you got to put that on the coach at the end of the day for just not realizing the situation. And, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a very questionable day all around for Mike McDaniel, even though his team, you know, ended up almost winning on the road in the game. No one thought he had a chance. I think it was just more about Buffalo getting them back into the game. Yeah, uh, We've exhausted. Uh, go ahead. I, I just want to make a point on that because on that last point that you just made, even if it's even if you get the first down, why are you switching out your personnel and why are you taking Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle out if you think way it's first down? So yeah, I, I don't I don't believe that. And to be completely honest, I feel like you kind of got caught. Like you were bringing in big personnel. I thought you, it looks like you knew it was fourth and one, and you were going to have to try and get the one yard. But that was just my opinion of the situation. I I thought he kind of was lying through his teeth at that press conference. Even if that's what he thought, uh, you know, it, once you realize where the claycock is, just keep your keep your first and ten personnel out there and get a first down. You have a fourth and half a yard to go. It's better exactly. than getting the right personnel out there and having a fourth and six anyway. Just just roll with the guys you have out there because you just did not have time to switch it out and they didn't have a timeout to get themselves uh, set up anyway. Yep. Let's go ahead and uh, get to the next game here. That's Giants at Vikings. The Giants end up taking this one 31 to 24 on the road. They covered their plus three, and this one went over the 48 point over under as well. My stat of the game, this one pretty incredible. Uh, another, I think the Chargers had a Chargers game. The Vikings had a Vikings game uh, with, with this stat here. They're the first team in the Super Bowl era to lose a game with zero sacks allowed, zero turnovers, and an 80% completion rate as a team. NFL teams were 47-0 and all time before Sunday uh, when completing all three of those tasks. So uh, just a, you know, really just the Giants just outplayed the Vikings pretty much all day. They outgained them pretty significantly, uh, 431 to 332 on the day. Rushing was 142 to 61 in favor of the Giants. And the time of possession was three 
was 33 minutes, 36 seconds, and the Vikings were 26-24. So I, I really across the board, the Giants just kind of lined up and beat them. And it really looked like that from the start. Honestly, I I, I don't really have much yep. else to say here. I think they were just the better team uh, on this day and really probably all season. Vikings, again, had a lot of luck in one-score games. So uh, I don't know if you have much else to add on the Giants. Do you have uh, any faith in them next week at Philly? I have a weird amount of faith in them, Cody. We'll get to that later, but uh, I want to get your thoughts on it first. Yeah, I mean, the Giants' second stringers gave the Eagles a fight in Week 17, and the Philly, you know, the Eagles were playing for that number one seed, and they only won by six points. So I think there's definitely a chance. Um, Daniel Jones looks really, really good, and I don't want to overreact because I've said it multiple times, and I I still stand by it. If that was my franchise guy, I just would always feel like there's a certain uh, amount of limitations with his passing game, but – with Brian Dayball, I mean, he might be one of the best offensive coaches in the NFL. Um, and a, off, a head coach that are that does the offensive play calling, you know, right up there you know, below Kyle Shanahan, kind of in that group there. So I think that I that just I, I don't love it, but he's been really good. So I, I think that they have a really good chance against the Eagles. I think the key to this this whole thing is his rushing ability. It's really opened up a lot on this offense, the running game. Obviously has benefited from it, but it just opens up everything behind it once you get uh, you know that dual threat quarterback back there with Saquon Barkley. I think that is the key here. Daniel Jones has started running quite a bit. I think he had 15 carries in this one, and he was very effective. Didn't end up with a huge yardage total, but had just a lot of big third downs where he ended up scrambling and uh, you know picking up T third downs for them. They were nine for 15 on the day on third and fourth down. That kind of ended up being the difference. Let's go to the Vikings real quick. Hold on. Uh, before I, go before we go to the Vikings, did you hear what um what the Giants team calls Daniel Jones? Like what <laughs> no, his nickname is? It's Vanilla Vic. That's what they call him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell whether I should be offended by that, but that's pretty funny. Yeah, it is pretty fun. That's what I, I forgot where I heard that. They're like, I don't really know if this is appropriate or not, but <laughs> this is what I heard. And I was like, Oh, that's what uh, I thought I, mean, I heard too. Yeah, uh, I guess if you know the whole team's in on it, then it is what it is. But that's pretty funny. He's again that that's been the biggest difference. That's what he's been doing. Yeah, on the football man, he's he's got surprising athleticism. We'll see you next week. Uh, We'll get to my picks uh, obviously when we do the preview show. But I think Giants plus seven and a half is looking like one of my stronger bets. Um, And then on the Viking side, let's start with that fourth and a play. Fourth and eight play to end the game. Do you have any, you know, overarching opinions there, or is that just kind of what you expect out of Kirk Cousins at this point in a big moment? Uh, yeah. I mean, the Kirk Cousins part of it. Um, I mean, I, I was rewatching the play. He did get, you know, hit basically as soon as he released the ball. So it's not like he dumped it down when he had some time to kind of make something happen. It was basically fight or flight at that point. Um, and, I, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you have to expect when you have Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. I think my biggest um, just issue with the situation is as a head coach and offensive play caller, like, you got to, like, uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, those kind of guys, uh, Andy Reid, Doug Peterson, those guys are going to have a play in their playbook to find a way to get the ball to their best player when the game's on the line. I just felt like – Minnesota did not have that. I don't know what the play looked like downfield, what they were trying to develop with, you know, Justin Jefferson. But I think there's just got to be a way you find a, you find a way to get him in space some way. So that, that's my biggest issue with it was just I feel like 
I feel like the head coach is more at fault than Kirk Cousins is because obviously whatever he called, whatever he called downfield, nothing was open. Otherwise, I mean, Kirk Cousins should have let it fly anyway, but he just didn't. Yeah, that's my biggest issue with it is if you're Kirk Cousins, I don't care if you, yeah, you gotta see let it fly. Jefferson in triple coverage, throw it up to him. It has a better chance of picking up the first down than you know Hawkinson blanketed by the the cornerback on the outside with leverage towards the sideline. Doesn't have any room to make a move and easily gets tackled below the sticks. So I'd rather see Cousins just air that out and get intercepted on a play where it's obviously, you know, if you don't get it, the season's over no matter what happens. That was my biggest issue with it. I think as a whole, he actually played a really good game, 31 of 39 in this one. Uh, but, yeah, I agree that Kevin O'Connell did look a little, uh, you know, outcoached in this game by Brian Dable. That first quarter play where they did the reverse to Jefferson and the throwback to Cousins, I mean, what was that? That is just overthinking it at its finest on a third and one. I I was I, I was just uh, speechless when I saw that play. That, that is, you know, the definition of overthinking it. Uh, but in general, I think Kirk played pretty well. Uh, this was just not a great game for Kevin O'Connell in a year where he did pretty well, obviously, 13 wins. So we'll see yep. if they can uh, turn that momentum around. But uh, as the Vikings, what do you do moving forward? Are you, uh, you know, trying to just run this back, picking up some extra pieces, sort of retooling on the fly? Or are you trying to tear it down for a long-term solution? They've been kind of, you know, floating in this purgatory between – you know, an eight and nine team, 10 and seven team for the, the past five years with Kirk Cousins. They had a good year this year, but again, lots of luck in one score games. So what are you thinking if you were a Vikings brass? Yeah. So when you say tear it down, would you be willing to move off of Justin Jefferson or is he your just one? No, I think he's piece? your franchise piece. I think you'd be, I think it'd be more like moving off of Kirk Cousins. I think that's the better right. okay. uh, what if here. Yeah, I, I don't hate that if you can find a way to upgrade from Kirk Cousins. Um, like I said, I'm going to kind of repeat that, and I don't want that to be kind of a cop-out, but it's going to be pretty hard to move to kind of upgrade from Kirk. I mean, he's been right basically at that average line and probably above average just a little bit. But um, one thing I think that the Vikings could do um, that could be interesting, depending on what Will Levis's draft stock looks like, they may be able to make a move up into uh, – like a Chiefs territory, maybe the 10th pick, and, uh, you know, snag Will Levis. I think he may be good, get a year behind Kirk. Um, we'll see, again, how he kind of grades out as a prospect. But I think that could be an interesting move for him. But I, I'd imagine next year they're rolling they're rolling back with Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I think uh, the way the contract works out, you'd basically have to trade him. And, you know, you're not going to get a ton just because his cap hits pretty high for, you know, an aging quarterback that is good, not great. It's kind of hard to win with those guys when they have such a big cap hit and they're not really the difference maker on your team. So uh, I think Kirk Cousins will be back next week or next week, excuse me, next year. But I, I agree with you in, in general on the Vikings. I think I am really trying to find a long-term option here. Uh, you've just seen this team has its ceiling with Kirk and with his cap hit, they are not able to kind of go out and you know spend a ton of money on free agents to make this defense better. So I think they've kind of hit their ceiling and they, they sort of have to plan on a retool Eventually, like you said, if they can get a you know a developmental prospect in the the upper tier of the first round, that might be the way to go. We'll see where Will Levis ends up though. These quarterbacks always get pushed up towards draft time, so it might be hard for them to get into the you know top five or something. For sure. Cincinnati at Baltimore was the last game on Sunday night. Cincinnati ended up winning at twenty four to seventeen. Baltimore covered their eight and a half point uh, spread, so. Good one there, Cody. I had the Bengals side of things there. Over the 40.5 point totaled by half a point. 
My stat of the game, Baltimore, this is pretty incredible, had been 6-0 and as a road team in the wild card round in their history. Obviously 6-1 and after this one, and honestly, they should have been 7-0. and uh, They had him by the uh, by the throat there or late in the fourth quarter, and they just kind of gave it up. Um, I don't know if you have any general reactions on Baltimore off the start. There's a lot of different ways we could go with this, honestly, but – uh, they outplayed Cincy pretty heavily. I, I think they they really should have won this one. It just slipped away because of a couple mistakes at the end. Obviously, the Huntley play. I think you can start with that, and then that's, we'll get into John the, Harbaugh's coaching. Yeah, that's that's the number one thing for me right there. Is why are you calling for a leaping touchdown from the three yard line? Um, you know, one of those things. I guess if it works, it's probably you thought as a genius. Um, but that's just one of those things so, that I don't think. You ever I actually saw I saw him I saw him uh, in a press conference. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but he said that was a called. Uh, you know, you're supposed to stay low and burrow quarterback sneak. So I guess Tyler Huntley just took. You know, unless unless Harbaugh threw him under the bus and that was not true, then Tyler Huntley kind of took matters Sheesh. into his own hands there. And I agree. I mean, a, kind of a crazy thing to do in that situation, but it seems like that was just Huntley making that decision. Wow, that's crazy. Um, maybe that's why you should pay Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah, 100%. So, yeah, I think that's probably what we'll lead into this. But, yeah, that's my one thing there is I guess, yeah, if he was supposed to burrow and he decided to make that decision, then that's that's on Hundley. But, yeah, from the three-yard line, I mean, you'd have just been better off just dashing to the right and hoping you could outrun people to the side. Yeah, 100%. At that point. So, I will say on a side note, though, Mark Andrews is one fast dude. I, he would have yeah, caught Hubbard awesome. <laughs> if it wasn't for the blocker. That was a DK Metcalf situation. He was humming down that field. Just uh, unfortunately. Too, honestly, but yeah, yeah, it was, it is, was pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I felt like the Ravens overall played a really good game. Just that that situation really killed me. Um, but like you said, if that was more of the player, then that, that comes down on Hundley. I kind of – just the way that – the way it unfolded, it made me feel like that was that was the way it was called. So that's maybe some clarification on that. Let's go ahead and finish out the Ravens here since we've already started on uh, that Huntley play. That was probably the obviously the biggest play of the game. It was going to be 24-17 Baltimore. ended up being 24-17 Cincy, and that was the final score. Uh, that was pretty late in the fourth quarter when that happened. But really tough day to be a Ravens fan. They had the Bengals on the ropes in this one. You know, if you end up winning that game, uh, you go on the road to play the Chiefs, and you know this style of ball might be one of the better you know types of you know team to beat the you know just to beat the Chiefs style because they have not been a great defense this year. If you can grind it out against them, that's probably the way to go, and maybe you get Lamar back. Who knows at that point? But um, I'm I'm just really pointing a finger at John Harbaugh on this one. I don't really understand what the you know thought process was at the end of the game there uh, with. Letting the letting the clock run down from about minute two to thirty five seconds outside the twenty yard line. Uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, but that was a very questionable decision to say the least. He you know let all that time run off, and then they ended up getting a holding penalty, and they were sort of just backed up at that point because they had let all the the clock run off. I I was not really understanding what Harbaugh was thinking. Obviously, trying to keep Joe Burrow off the field, but I don't know what what did you think of that. Just, I mean, that's that's the you make that kind of play call when you have a Lamar Jackson, a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, someone that can see the ball in there, see the ball in there from thirty yards out, and, and win you the game. You can't do that with Tyler Huntley. Like you just, they could, right. they could then just You're play deep, five or six, regarding the yeah. end zone. Exactly, you, you need that time. So uh, that was my again, just very questionable there. I just don't understand what the 
what the game plan was. And I hate to break it to you, Nick. The final score would have been 20 to 17 Baltimore because they would have got stuffed. They would have kicked the field goal, and that would have been two out of four unders on the weekend. But Cincinnati had other plans, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, they uh, they definitely did. Uh, I don't know if you know. I don't know if they would have been able to come back, but yeah, Cincinnati definitely looked pretty rough on this one. Really questionable decision from John Harbaugh. I think they needed all the time they could uh, they could get there. Would have came up and ran the ball quickly, and then you have the option to let the, the clock keep running, or you can you know actually come up. It just it just gives you more options to take the play there, and then you know see what happens after that. They were too far out to start playing it cute like that. Uh, let's move on to Lamar Jackson, though. Do you re-sign him if you're the Baltimore Ravens, or do you move off of him? I, you know, will start this by saying I think that there is a better than average chance he has played his last down as a Raven, just based off their relationship currently. Yeah, um, I will say it was very nice to see. Uh, it was either the Thursday or it maybe it was Friday. Cause I think it was after we recorded. He tweeted out that. You know, his injury was worse than, you know, initially expected and, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, it was at least good to finally hear something about it, but I don't right. know if that's necessarily him just kind of taking one. Um, I don't know. I feel like, like you said, it's kind of it's kind of odd. I feel like hopefully some more stuff kind of leaks about this situation so that we have more to react to. But as far as we said, you know, right now, I mean, if they move off of Lamar Jackson, it's almost a 100% guarantee that you're going to be downgrading at the quarterback position. So, um, you know. Bateman's your wide receiver one unless you make a move. I don't think you can necessarily downgrade to a – I mean, I don't even know who you'd be able to go get. Like, maybe you trade with the Seahawks, you get Geno. That may be your best option if you're the Ravens. But at that point, Geno, I think, did a lot of what he did because of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, which the, the Ravens definitely don't have. So, um, yeah, I think just with the way their offense is set up right now, they need Lamar's dynamic running ability. So I think you got to pay him. You got to kind of commit to what you've been committing to, or you just got to break down that entire offense in general and, you know, maybe potentially bring in a new OC if you're going to move off a quarterback as well. Yeah, I, I would definitely keep him. Like you said, there's not a lot of other great options this offseason. They're not, not, they're not going to be in a position to pick very highly because the rest of their roster is pretty strong, uh, you know, moving forward. So I, I think they have to stick with Lamar. Like you said, they've kind of made their bet at this point with their roster decisions. And I think if you give Lamar a couple decent options on the outside and, you know, hopefully he stays healthy, obviously health is kind of, you know, random year to year for everybody running quarterbacks, always going to be slightly higher risk, but again, give him some weapons, let him stand back. Another, there. Maybe uh... have to run as much. Potentially another Cardinals Ravens trade. This time they're sending D Hop back to Baltimore. <laughs> I I could see it for sure. Um, he definitely Rashad Bateman should not be the reason that your season kind of takes a turn. Uh, they should have a couple other options there that can help them out. For sure, we'll see what they end up doing. Uh, but I I think that they they have probably seen the last of Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Uh, let's talk about Cincinnati real quick though. Because uh, th- this game, unlike the Buffalo Bills game, I'm, I'm a little worried about the Bengals here. It's really more of a personnel thing. Uh, they they lost another starting offensive lineman. They're basically back to exactly where they were last year in the playoffs when their O-line was obviously a huge talking point and was their biggest weakness by a long shot. Ended up being the reason they lost probably in the Super Bowl. But uh, that that's uh, that's kind of the biggest concern I have for Cincinnati. It really limited them in this game. Joe Burrow had to keep getting the ball out extremely quick, and I don't think it's going to get much better soon as far as uh, you know the personnel goes. The guys that are hurt are not going to be back anytime soon. It's That's pretty concerning if you're a Bengals fan. I think I'd be taking the Bills minus four if I had to bet right now. 
Ooh, I was just gonna ask you. I literally just looked up the line as you were talking. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm probably there with you. I think uh, Cincinnati's. It's gonna be. It's just one of those situations where you can never count them out because they have one of those elite level quarterbacks that can just kind of make things happen. So, I mean, I do think that there is a chance that uh, Cincinnati can pull it out. But if it is, it's going to be kind of a grinded out style game. Um, I don't think that they're going to be able to play their, you know, as pass heavy offense with uh, their offensive line kind of breaking down. So, but I think that's probably one, you know, one of the biggest things in the NFL is just who gets to the playoffs the healthiest. And unfortunately, you know, Cincinnati just may have, uh, may have ran into the injury bug right before they have to run into the bills. But um, yeah, I think that that's their biggest issue. I mean, if they could have gotten, you know, a different team next weekend, then I feel like they could have, you know, uh, It'd be, I'd be a little bit more confident, but you're going to have to go to Buffalo, play the Bills. Yeah, I can see the Bills just kind of picking apart the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, we'll see what their health looks like when we get closer to the game, but certainly uh, going to be a tough uphill battle if they have three of their five starting offensive linemen out. Did not look great on uh, Sunday night against the Ravens. Let's go ahead and get to my favorite game of the week, Dallas at Tampa Bay. A 31-14 win for the Cowboys on the road was not really even that close in this one. Dallas easily covered their 2.5-point spread. The under at 45.5 barely hit. Thank you, Brett Maher. Um, my stat of the game, Tom Brady. He set the all-time Bucks pass TD record if you include regular and postseason Passing Jameis Winston by, I believe, two in this one with both of his passing touchdowns. His first one set the record. His first snap with the team was when they were 43 years old. I'm not sure if that's more impressive for Tom Brady or sad for the Buccaneers, but that's pretty incredible. This this franchise is not that young, Cody. I, I think they I think in 1976 is when right. they were founded. So they've been around a while. It's not like they were, you know, a 1990 expansion or something. It's been almost 50 years. So it's pretty wild that he has the record, but um, I don't know if you, where you want to start here with this one. I guess we can start with the Cowboys. They looked fantastic in this one. Um, yeah, you know, but I think sure. this is just more about the Bucks than it was the Cowboys. They they look good. They came out. Jed Dak was great, but uh, the Bucks are the story here. Yep, did what you got to do. Came out absolutely dominated. Micah Parsons is an absolute beast. Um, just he is that so was fast. A mismatch he is on Donovan Smith. That was not not even a contest. I mean, it just, yeah, absolutely not. Um, and they just were not giving any help to him either. I mean, they, they, um, I was watching the Manning cast for a while, and Eli Manning was like, please just send a running back over there and just chip him. Give, give Brady, or yeah, give Brady another, you know, one second because he basically was having to release it as soon as he was getting the snap. So, um, and anytime that they were trying to get plays to develop downfield, that did not uh, work out well for them. So, yeah, I think Dallas did exactly what they needed to do. I feel like they look pretty good going into next week. I think that game on Sunday night is, or I guess evening, is it's going to be amazing. I, I already cannot wait for that one. Yeah, it should be a really good game. Uh, let's finish out the Bucks, and then we can kind of talk about that Niners-Cowboys uh, game for a second, just kind of get our initial thoughts on it. Uh, they have a lot of questions moving forward. This team is going to look a ton different next year. Um, I, don't, I don't really know what direction I would be recommending going in if I was the Buccaneers. They sort of, you know, tailored their roster to Tom Brady and you know put it all in on the win now, and now they're you know having to deal with that moving forward. I think you're probably just looking for a bridge quarterback, and then if you bottom out, you know, you're you're just back into that quarterback roulette. But uh, what would you do if you're the Buccaneers? Are you trying to re-sign Brady, or are you just uh, moving off at this point? 
Nope. Moving off, I'm keeping Todd Bowles for one more year, and I'm looking to, to trade away good assets. Or not good assets, but good players and get, get some draft picks in return, some young players in return. And I, this is probably – got to completely, completely rebuild this team. Um, they just yeah, – their, offensive, their offensive line their offensive line could be healthier next year, which would make a big difference because, I mean, if you can at least establish somewhat of a run, Tom Brady can, you know, operate. But just the way you see – the way that Tom Brady was kind of looking this year, just it doesn't seem like he's going to come back to Tampa Bay or really wants to be there. So I'd imagine he's gone. And if he's gone, I'm cleaning house with a lot of – um, you know, by players I can get trade picks for, and then I'm just bottoming out and trying to get someone next year. Yeah, I think they have uh, they have a chance to be in the the early running for a team with the best chance of having the number one pick, depending on who they you know get a quarterback, and depending on what pieces they keep or, like you said, sell off. That's going to be an interesting decision, but I think they'd behoove them to probably just uh, bottom out and not try to save this team with a Derek Carr level quarterback. I don't think that's going to fix the that's problems so that they have right now on their team. Um, uh, on the Cowboys side, let's, uh, let's go ahead and just talk about that Niners Cowboys game next week. Uh, go ahead. Actually, I don't know if you, have you looked at the line yet? Tell me. Ooh, I have I don't know. I have not looked at the line. Okay. I have it right in front of me. Uh, I want you to guess where, uh, what the spread is right now on that, uh, 49ers Cowboys game. 49ers minus two and a half. 49ers minus three and a half. I'm actually Ooh, surprised damn. that you were that far on the Cowboys side. I, I thought this would be closer to five or six, just the way that they've looked recently. Um, I think that's going to be a good game. I wanted to bet the Cowboys, but that's that line is a little close for me. I, I'm probably going to end up leaning that way, but I could see it going either way. Both those teams are fantastic. That's going to be a very fun one. Yeah, I am uh, opening FanDuel right now, because if I can get three and a half, I think I'm going to take that for the uh, for the 49ers. <laughs> for sure wow at two and, and a half cody I, to be betting the cody to be betting the cowboys i am no 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 I'm, I'm taking the 49er side at three and a half no no minus no. three and a half no sorry no i would be on the cowboy side sorry i completely blinked there for a second yeah no i okay. i don't want to have that hook I, that's why i did the two and a half because i didn't think that they'd give the cowboys the hook on uh, initially but it actually got bet up on FanDuel. it's minus four and plus four right now so it looks wow. like someone someone came in on the 49ers early. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think that that's going to be a really close, really good game. I mean, Michael Parsons, he could single-handedly take. I mean, if you're going to see – if you are not going to have a game plan for him, he can completely disrupt anybody. And Brock Purdy probably has not had a uh, one single defender that can make, you know, a big play or make multiple big plays like Michael Parsons. That's what I was most impressed with actually was just it was every single play he was in the backfield and he was inches away from Tom Brady, every single freaking play. It's like, geez, if he, I mean, he could end up with a game with like eight sacks with how often he gets back to the quarterback. Yeah. I'm very, very interested to see the 49ers up against a good defense like uh, this Cowboys unit. I, I don't have the schedule in front of me for the 49ers, but Basically, this entire run with Purdy, they have not had to play uh, a top five or even maybe even a top ten unit across the board. Uh, obviously, that's just a little bit of hyperbole, but uh, I don't really think that any of these defenses that they played have been uh, of the caliber of the Cowboys when they play their game. So we'll see what happens. I think that's going to be very interesting to watch Purdy have to make decisions under pressure rather than just having you know wide open lanes to throw through. And uh, that should be just should be a fantastic game. They're they're both. They're good on both sides of the ball, both teams, and 
it should be a fun one. I'm hoping uh, the Cowboys move on to you know further my Super Bowl pick of the Bills and the Cowboys. I'm still still riding that train. Yeah, absolutely. I was it Chiefs Eagles that I had. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Or yeah, you had so, Chiefs Niners, so it'll come down. To I did have Chiefs Niners. That's right. I had Niners over Eagles. So yeah, we're actually. I think all four of our picks are still in there. So. Yeah, no, that's – I mean, wild card weekend, I mean, it went as expected. I mean, if I, if you put a money line parlay on the six teams, I would have got the six teams correct for sure. It was just a couple of the spreads and, and the unders that killed me on the betting side. But, um, yeah, it was a good wild card weekend. I'm excited for this it divisional round. I, I think – I will say just in general about this weekend, I've never been more frustrated watching what's supposed to be higher-level football – so I think that's one downside about making this seven teams in the playoffs is adding that other team. You just, just probably get a team that's not a playoff level team in there. But next weekend, I mean, Jags and KC, Peterson and Andy Reid's exciting. You got the Giants at Philadelphia. That's already a big rivalry. Then you add the playoffs on top of it. Cincy and Buffalo, you know, after what happened in the regular season and those two are two dominant teams and then Dallas and San Francisco. So. I cannot wait. I, I'm ready for this week to be over and, and for it to be next Saturday. Yeah, can you tell that the high scores on this weekend have had an effect on Vegas's line setting here? Let me give you the over-unders for these four games. Jags-Chiefs, 51.5. Giants-Eagles, 48. Bengals-Bills, 50.5. Uh, Cowboys-49ers, 46. 46, the lowest total on the weekend in the playoffs. I think... Uh, I think the smart betters will probably be on the unders in a few of those games for things to have a tendency to come back to the mean usually. I don't think this you know crazy high scoring is necessarily going to continue. Nope, I will be on every single under again this week just <laughs> as a preview into our weekly breakdown because you are 100% right. I have to expect it to come back at least a little bit. So uh, maybe. We'll see. Maybe I'll think about it. We'll, we're, we're not going to take today's spreads anyway. We'll wait till like Thursday and see what the spreads are and we'll take yeah, it. Yeah, they'll so. move a decent amount. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the movement kind of goes and stuff like that. But that's the thing that's going to wrap it up. That's pretty good. Yeah. A little under an hour. Got through all six games. Pretty good. So uh, yeah, if you're if you're sticking around, appreciate it. Like, comment, subscribe, all the good stuff. And uh, we'll we'll be back at you later this week with a uh, divisional round breakdown. Yeah, guys, uh, let's go ahead and get out of here. It's pretty late, Cody. Uh, we'll like you said, get with you later in the week and give you some previews of the divisional round games. For sure. Peace out, everybody. See ya.